here's the deal is that Jesus empowered the church by saving everybody, right? And so he started the church by dying on the cross. So all the power for the existence of the church is in Jesus. But how often does Jesus actually show up and control his church? You know, when he stands up and says, okay, I want everybody to go eat pizza today. Right. You know, everybody's going to have to wear these clothes and you have to sing these songs. That's never happened in 2000 years. Right. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey that you have to take on your own, but we will come alongside you to coach you, encourage you, and to make some pretty bad jokes along the way. But Uh, humor is one of the best spices of life. My name is Jesse Mayer. I will be your host, and we cannot do the Salty Pastor Podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. (laughs) Douglas Peak. Well, hello, everyone. We're glad you're here today, and we are just been digging into what the future looks like for males and females. It's been a little crazy out there just in the political environment. And one of the reasons why we want to help you think through these things is because there was a time in American life where the government was so much smaller. And so it was up to you and, you know, to kind of figure out what you want to do, how you're going to do it. And uh, you could be politically left, politically right. It wasn't that big of a deal. But today it seems like the government has become so politically charged. And I think that's partly due to the media and what it desires to do. And what has happened now is that everything is political. It's like what you choose to eat in your diet is a political statement. What clothes you wear is a political statement. How you identify Uh, is a political statement. And so what has happened is that we have to develop skills in a way of thinking to navigate all of this craziness. And that's why I think the salty pastor is such an important part of a person's growth, because our goal isn't to tell you what to think. It's to teach you the tools that you can employ yourself to think through all this craziness and in essence, grow your own faith. Absolutely. And I think as we're in this series titled the future is male and female we've kind of spent these first four weeks focusing on the importance of males um and then this you know females after that we did two weeks on males two weeks on females Mm -hmm. and so this final week we're going to talk about the partnership that exists between males and females how do we come together and have a partnership and a, and a working relationship that works and isn't just one of us is quote unquote in power or the other is quote unquote in power. It's a working relationship, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And it's, uh, primarily personified in this idea of marriage. And so we're going to be using that as the focus. However, from this focus, there are massive implications for males and females all across the board and society. So salty pastor, (laughs) How are we going to do that? <laughs> well, I think that what's really important is from the onset of puberty all the way pretty much until you die, uh, everything in our biology influences us emotionally, intellectually, physically, and spiritually, uh, particularly when it comes to males and females being pu- pulled together in a partnership. And this is a real important point if you're a follower of Christ is uh, to develop a biblical worldview. Well, what does a biblical worldview actually mean? Well, it says, first and foremost, the scriptures don't separate the physical from the spiritual. They are together. And so in the same way, uh, marriage is then designed 
to fulfill all of the drives, oh, drives, drives, sorry about that, everyone, all of the drives that you have biologically, emotionally, intellectually, physically, as well as the spiritual drives, which are being influenced by your biology. So there, it's the, the you that is you encompasses all of those things. Now, the, the heresy that pulled them apart was called Gnosticism mm. in the latter part of the New Testament. And they separated them so much that people became dualistic. And in Christianity, a biblical worldview is, well, you're not dualistic, is that your biology does affect your spiritual well-being and vice versa. And so when we're talking about marriage, we're talking about something that exists in order to fulfill the deepest biological drives and the deepest spiritual drives. And bringing those two together is really the focus of a biblical worldview. However, uh, you have to understand that it's not just about marriage. And that is what makes you uh, great in your marriage or makes a great marriage is the exact same things that make, for instance, uh, employees great. It makes, uh, parents great. It makes, uh, neighbors great and friendships great, you know, it makes you a great citizen. So it's when we understand these upstream principles that make marriages great that we begin to understand, wow, it impacts every relationship and all, every area in my quality of life on a downstream level. So that's kind of why marriage is such a focus of the New Testament. So, you know, and that's good for me to hear because, you know, as one of the few unmarried people on staff, it's always good, you know, the tendency and some of our listeners may feel this too. It's like, oh, Pastor Doug's talking about marriage. I'm not married, so I'm going to tune out and start listening to the baseball game, right? Yeah. But yeah. what you're saying is these principles that we learn about marriage and how to make a great marriage are going to allow us to become better at all mm -hmm. of the relationships in our lives and better as a citizen of humanity. So yeah. even though they're using the context of marriage, these are principles that apply globally Correct. Correct. to our lives and what we should be doing to better ourselves and better the world. So yeah. And even, you know, like let's say you're single and uh, this is not my prayer or hope, but let's say you ended up being single your whole life. Marriage is not a promise. There's yeah. no promise that you will get married. Get married. So. But let's just say you've got a, but, but by valuing marriage and what makes marriage is great, you know, that what that does is, is it inspires you to continue to grow and be transformed. Right. Right. And, and then that process. So let's say you're focusing on marriage and even for some people, it never happens. Uh, the benefit for you in every other area of your life is incredible. So, you know, it's, if you take marriage and then you denigrate it, right. Or you look down on it, then you don't reap any of the benefits of valuing it in your life each and every day across the board. Right. Absolutely. So let's begin with the biblical teaching on marriage and okay. what it says, um, how important is it and how, what can you do so that it's more successful. How do you, how do you win right. at being married? I guess. How do you win? The idea. Anything else that this, this idea, idea might teach us? Yeah. There's a ton of practical principles in the old Testament, you know, about how to be married, you know, just practical things that you can do. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of teaching in the new Testament about 
the way to approach it and the way to to think and behave and the values you should kind of uh, uh, endeavor to have in order for it to be more successful. And the first place, uh, we won't get through all of it today, but the first place I'd like to start is in Paul's teaching to the uh, church in Ephesians uh, in chapter five, the latter part of chapter five, uh, he starts from verse 22 all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 33. He talks about uh, some things in marriage that are really, really important. So why don't you read those and then I'll comment on them. All right. So Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Mm-hmm. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Mm-hmm. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to the to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are a member of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So we see the very first thing I want to draw your attention to is verse 32. He says, uh, basically, it's a profound mystery. So he basically says, okay, I've just told you this, and it's very profound. It's, it's very, uh, in some ways, abstract. It's difficult to grasp, it's, but it's significantly important. Well, what, mm. what's the profound mystery? It's mysterious. You're not going to see it right off. Uh, it doesn't make sense if you look at it with just worldly eyes. And he says, well, this profound mystery I'm discussing is actually not how to be married. Mm. He's saying, I'm talking about Jesus and the church. So what he's saying is I'm talking about the church and the G and Jesus and the relationship between the two. That's the point of what I'm teaching. And the implication is that marriage is the closest analogy in the real world in which we live that personifies the relationship between Jesus and his church. So, Marriage is the best way here on earth for you to grow deep in your faith. Now, Jesus says in Matthew that there are some who don't get married, and this is because of a special gift of God. Now, due to the special gift of God, these people can grow deep in the faith without ever getting married. But on the other hand, this gift is a special gift, so it's not common Mm. to everyone. So we see this when Paul says in first Corinthians, he goes, look, I wish all of you would remain as me. He was single when he wrote that. And he, he mentions that he says, but I also realized that's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So get married. So it's really interesting. He goes, I wish that you wouldn't divide your attention and have troubles in this world. However, on the other sta- side of it is I realized that's just not going to happen. So get married. So marriage is a very important spiritual opportunity for you to grow deeper in your faith. And because it's so powerful 
to grow you spiritually, it can also do what? It can mess you up. Right. And create a lot of toxicity in your life. So that's an important thing that he starts off right off the bat. So I I think I read somewhere or heard somewhere that over 94% of the world's population gets married at some Mm -hmm. point in their lives. And the fact that this is a data point for the entire human race seems pretty significant to me. It's not just something that, you know, 94% of Americans get married or 94% of um, Jewish people. I mean, it's not, it's across the board focused on a religion or, or an ethnicity or a nation or where you were raised. It's just across the board as humanity, 94% of people get married. Yeah. And I think that's really fascinating because it proves that males and females are designed for a purpose. And that purpose includes an important and intimate partnership with someone of the opposite sex. So regardless of your ethnicity, your culture, your religion, your social status, how much money you have, how rich you are, how poor you are, 94% of all human beings get married. And so what that says is that it we're driven for a uh, sexually intimate, emotionally intimate, intellectually intimate, spiritually intimate relationship with somebody of the opposite sex. And there's only two sexes. There's only two genders. There's male and female. So I think it's really important to understand that everybody, the entire, uh, I guess you could say, uh, expression of the human race is marriage. So Mm -hmm. it really incorporates this base drive within the human heart. So let's dig in some more. What's the significance of him talking directly to men and then directly to women? Well, yeah, this is interesting because he says to men, husbands, and he says to wives, females, and he really digs into this. His discussion in the marriage relationship between these two is different for each one. And so the question then is, okay, why is he saying different things to different people? Uh, He says one thing to males. He says something different to the females. Well, it reinforces the fact that men and women are different. So in order for a marriage to be successful, men have to pursue masculinity and females have to pursue the feminine quality. So let's talk about that. What does masculinity and femininity look like? We've, we've been discussing that a little bit, but the world kind of tells us one thing or another, just in youth group last night, we were having this discussion about the stereotypes of what being a man is versus being a woman is. Can you speak into that pastor? Yeah. Well, society makes it really extremely difficult because in our society, masculine masculinity is defined as, uh, uh, like a machismo. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about sexual conquest. It's about violence, you know, be, you know, you, you act violently and aggressively towards those who don't respect you. It's about, you know, being ripped, being big, you know, oversized. And so, uh, the feminine then is defined in our society as sexual. You know, why is it that anytime a female talks about female empowerment, you know, she's posing naked, Mm. you know, she's, she's revealing her, her sexual, sensual side and that's female empowerment. 
you know, uh, you, you don't see, uh, um, uh, uh, memes or you don't see, you know, things on social media. You don't see women who are leading our culture, who are standing up and saying, you know, holding up a baby and saying, I've raised these children. That's female empowerment. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's really interesting to me. And that's because our society is sexualized the feminine. Now, is this new? No. I mean, if you go back into uh first century when Christianity was birthed, is that in the Roman Empire, they had all of these temples dedicated to the goddess, the pagan goddess, Diana. Mm-hmm. And she was a fertility goddess. And in Ephesus itself, the, the biggest problem the church had there is that that was the center of manufacturing for the little figurines of Diana. Okay. And the figurines of Diana were of a female who was naked at her chest. And then she would have anywhere from 50 to a hundred breasts on her chest. And that was the figurine, the idol that represented Diana, the fertility goddess. And so you go on the internet, Google Diana, and you'll see these figurines. They're very, very popular. And everybody has at work. Yeah, don't do it at work. Uh, but what happened is, is that, you know, there were temple prostitutes. There were people that went and, and uh, performed in the temple to just have uh, anonymous sex with different people. This was very common, you know, just like it's become very common today in America. I mean, this is... You know, isn't this the definition of Las Vegas? You know, you go, they call it Sin City, and they right. go and do all of these things. And so what has happened is society in this process and all of our media, particularly young girls and young boys, basically says masculinity is machismo and feminine is sexual. So uh, this is a perfect example why having a biblical worldview is so significant and so important. It says, I'm going to define what it means to be a masculine man or a feminine woman based on what the Bible defines male and females, not what the world's definitions do to warp the purity of those truths. So the words used to describe the relationship between Jesus and his church are really, really uh, significant, okay? Uh, the words that interact between Jesus and the church are words like grace, redemption, love, mission, purpose, empowerment by the Holy Spirit, guidance, adoption into the family, a new name, new creation, sacrificial love, freedom, and more and more and more. So, Is there anything negative about those words? No. No, there's nothing negative about them. But those words have nothing to do with big muscles and machismo or the size of your figure in a bikini. Right. Right? On the feminine. So it's not about sexualization and it's not about machismo and violence and, and dominance. See, these, the, the relationship between Jesus and his church is about redemption and second chances and grace and fulfillment and restoration and healing and freedom and all of these types of things. So when males and females act according to their design that God has put within them, that is a reflection of their nature, 
and culminates in marriage. The purpose of marriage is to bring out all of these types of qualities. It's to bring out redemption and love and grace and mission and freedom and healing and restoration. So it's very important to know that these are the things that are required for you to walk in your authentic self to know who you truly are and who you are meant to be. You can't discover as a guy who you really are if you're walking in machisma and trying to prove your sexual prowess and, you know, uh, you know, forcing yourself on women or people in situations. You're not going to discover your true self. Mm. You know, you have to walk in this notion of protection and love and mercy and redemption. I have to walk in it as a man. And then I have to figure out how to take responsibility to see it happening in the lives of the people around me. That's how I become more masculine. And that's how I become more my authentic self for women. You know, you have to understand that that the goal of discovering your authentic self is not going to happen when you manipulate your relationships or you try to control your relationships or you use sex and sexuality and charm to get what you want out of relationships. These hinder your authentic self. They don't enhance your, so you need to find these really healthy relationships uh, in a marriage and you have to invest these things that make it healthy, not toxic. And then what ends up happening is you discover more of your true self. Is it easy? No, because we're very fallen creatures. We've been tainted by sin. It impacts everything. So every situation every day in your marriage is an opportunity to be toxic or healthy. It's to take one more step into my authentic self and try to bring more unconditional love, more grace, more mercy, more healing, more restoration into my marriage. And you can go back and we can tell stories about this, uh, all over the place is that, you know, a lot of guys are like, you know, man, the love of this woman has transformed my life, Mm. you know, totally transformed my life. Uh, there's stories of women all the time. You you could see, sometimes you see them on social media, you see them write about it, stuff like that. They tell their story and they go, you know, I got married. It was super toxic and I had some kids and I was a single mom. And then this man came into my life and I wasn't ready to trust. I wasn't ready to anything. And now this man has healed my heart and is raising my kids. And you see, so, so things could be toxic, but oftentimes we need this relationship to experience the healing that we need. Well, and I've heard Pastor Harv talk about that. Um, in some people that he's done premarital counseling with, he's talked to them and said, your future spouse is there to help heal the hurts that you suffered prior. Like that is one of God's gifts in your spouse is they are there to help heal heal those things. And that's exactly what you're talking about. We see these different things that are healed and the, and you've talked about this over and over again, but it's when you use the world's definitions of anything, Mm -hmm. they're so ephemeral. They disappear and change at any given moment. It's like right now it's like, I am I considered a man because I like dance and I don't love sports or hunting. I know that might offend some of our salty pastor <laughs> listeners, but it's like, that's not my thing, but I love to dance. And it's like, well, you know, I constantly get the question, well, you must be gay then. Right. Cause you like to dance. And I'm like, no, I'm in fact actually very smart. Cause I dance with very beautiful girls yeah, and right. very pro- close proximity. So I'm winning. I'm <laughs> winning. 
in this scenario. <laughs> but I mean, that definition of society's definition yeah. of what masculinity is changes. The society's definition of what femininity is changes. And at no point in the Bible does God right. say, you have to like to be a warrior and go kill people or that you have to, you know, be the best sports person or grow the biggest beard. It's like David went out and slayed Goliath. And then in the latter half of his life, he was a poet and he did art and he cried a lot. I mean, that's half of the Psalms, right? (laughs) He cried a lot. And Jesus was in the temple flipping tables and then he's weeping over Jerusalem. So it's like, there's no definition of what being a man yeah. is as far as these worldly, stupid, worldly yeah. hobbies or what yeah. you like. Yeah. It's all about what your heart is and how he designed you to react as a male. And those are the things that matter. What your role is exactly. and what your responsibilities are, not what you like or what you don't like. Yeah. Those have nothing to do with anything. And that's why males need to pursue this instruction uh, from their masculine heart. They need to pursue it with their whole being. They need to set goals. They need to adopt a training program to sharpen the saw, so to speak, in order that these qualities of your masculine heart are your primary focus. Uh, the qualities of initiation. See, these are masculinity is an, is an upstream concept, right? Mm-hmm. Masculinity isn't, am I a football player, a dancer, a sculptor, or a hunter? Right. See, that's downstream. Yes. And so the upstream concept is it doesn't matter whether I'm a sculptor, a dancer, a hunter, or a football player, or a musician, or a banker. The issue is the masculine quality is, are you an initiator? Mm-hmm. You see, uh, the masculine quality that's upstream is, are you adopting adventure? And uh, are you entering into adventure? And are you taking responsibility See, those are, so it doesn't matter what the downstream personification of that is if those upstream masculine things are being pursued. And so you need to pursue them as your primary focus, the quality of your heart. In doing so, you're not only investing in the strength and vitality of your marriage, you're going to be investing in the strength and vitality of your own life. You notice then that passage, what did Paul say? No man hates his own body. So -hmm. when you love your wife, who are you loving? yourself yourself and so he's saying look pursue that females in the exact same way you need to read this instruction and pursue it with all of your heart if you respond as it some archaic culturally insignificant uh oppressive ideology to reinforce the patriarchy uh designed to oppress women then you're not ever going to discover your true power and influence of the feminine heart, but you have to read it and embrace it and say the path is to my true self, the path to my greatest influence, my greatest joy, my greatest fulfillment is in these upstream ideas that all revolve around the notion of the feminine heart. You see these ideas of sereneness and quality that they, we talked about last week about gentleness, about all of these different qualities. So pursue it with all of your heart. Well, as we're wrapping up, I kind of want to end on this question, which is, it seems that a lot of people struggle with this passage we read, right? Mm-hmm. Because yes. we've been told everything's a power struggle over yes. and over and over in today's mindset, everything has to do with power. And so who has the power in the relationship and how does this teaching impact our, our modern day sense of power? Those, those are questions that we kind of need to answer. Cause it's like, this is one of the ones that people quote a lot about, like, well, you yeah. should be doing this. And then it gets, 
and then people turned into a firestorm, yeah, right? And and that's you know, frame of reference is huge. Frame of reference is so so very very important. And I think it's if you look at a marriage relationship uh, as a power relationship, it's then, gonna explode. Yeah, and so that it's not you know. Here's the deal is that Jesus empowered the church by saving everybody, right? And so he started the church by dying on the cross. So all the power for the existence of the church is in Jesus. But how often does Jesus actually show up and control his church? You know, when he stands up and says, okay, I want everybody to go eat pizza today. Right. You know, everybody's going to have to wear these clothes and you have to sing these songs. That's never happened in 2000 years. Right. Right. Now the Holy Spirit leads individuals and guides, but does Jesus ever show up in the sky and say, my church do this? Right. You know, it's really interesting about how this is because it's not a power structured relationship. And it's hard for us to not think that way because Karl Marx made every relationship a power thing. And it's been drilled into our heads for the last 75 years in public education in our society. And everything's about power, right? Every relationship is about power. So here's some extremely true things that are very difficult for men and women to process. And that is when things go bad or they get off track in our lives, our subconscious belief is that we can fix it. In essence, this is an appeal to our own power. For instance, whenever a couple gets into a power struggle, there's no winners. There is no winners. The basic power struggle begins usually with a minor hurt or slight. You know, it kind of works like this. A husband comes home. He's distracted. He's at dinner. The wife wants to have a conversation. He's not paying attention. So he says some things about a topic that she had mentioned, you know, five minutes ago and moved on from. Now she's she's hurt that, that he's not. She's annoyed with him. Okay. He's not focused on me or for whatever reason. So she's a little bit hurt. And so what happens is she says uh, something annoying or she's like, I'm going to do something. I'm going to jab him or say a criticism. You know, you never listen to me or you know, you right. And so there's a hurt and she speaks out of that hurt. And so uh, the, the other side of it is, is guys, you know, um, a man is sharing with his wife, the frustrations he has at work. He's just venting probably maybe some emotions. He says he's going to quit and walk away. Cause he's sick of the politics. Well, her first response, you know, it may, might be a little bit of fear and say, well, you can't do that. How are we going to eat? Well, then he gets all mad and annoyed at her. He yells at her. You don't think I can provide. You're always disrespecting me. You're always on. He gets up and walks off. He's like, I'm not doing this anymore. As you can see, it's always hurt where power struggles begin. It's always in the hurt. And then it turns into a power play. She spends her time thinking about how to get her husband to focus on her and give her the attention she deserves. He, on the other hand, starts thinking about or doing things because he feels like she's not respecting him like he deserves. This is called a power struggle. The goal is one person is attempting to force the other person to give them what they want or need. And here's the truth. You have zero power. You have none. It is an illusion. It does not exist. The reason you get so angry at your spouse, so disappointed in your spouse, so upset and emotionally disconnected from your spouse is because you believe you have the power. You have the power to control another person. You have the power to change them and mold them into what you 
want. We want to exercise power because we are hurt. And this is why salvation, the gospel message, is so important. It's why it's critical. You see, there's so many people out there who want to follow God. They, they like the idea of God, and they're following him without ever being redeemed or saved. You know, they say, well, God's got some good ideas and some great morals, and so I'm going to go out there and follow them and become a better person. But in my opinion, that's the most frustrating way to live because it's never going to happen. You're, you're never going to realize uh, these things that you want to become because the ultimate truth is you've never accepted, and the fact is you're dead. Mm. You're dead. Dead things cannot produce living things. And the whole point of the gospel is you're dead. And I rose from the dead so that you could be made new and alive again. You must be born again. It's not a good idea to be born again. It's not preferable to be born again. It's not like, well, on a really good day and things are going right and you're really walking in the Zen of your life, man. And you're thinking, wow, this is a new thing and I'm born again. No, you must. There's no, there's no equivocation in that word. You must be born again. You must be made a new creation. You must acknowledge the fact I'm completely dead. I have no power. So what happens is gospel is what makes the message makes marriages possible because you start off with saying, I have no power. I'm dead. And God then moves through me. This is why marriage is so important. It is the real world arena to practice, not practice how to get what you want, but how you can submit yourself to Jesus, align yourself with him, and then you'll see his power begin to move through you to elicit great change. And the masculine heart is how guys align with the power of God moving through them. The feminine heart is how women align with the power of God moving through them. And I'll say something very controversial here. Um, it shouldn't be, but that is a male cannot adopt a feminine heart and expect God's power to move through them. A female cannot adopt a masculine heart and expect God's power to move through them. It just won't work. Well, we'll leave that as a thinking thought to uh, a thinking thought, a thinking thought. Uh, to wrap up on we're out of time today but we just appreciate your thoughts as we are moving through these scriptures and kind of talking about one that gets some people's feathers ruffled occasionally so i think it's important yes. for us to um approach it you've never been one to shy away from hard things so um in fact you sometimes just barrel at them <laughs> so uh we really appreciate you talking about these pastor and we're going to be talking more about marriage on thursday when we get into some practicality and why it's important and what happens in a society when you devalue marriage so yes. we appreciate you guys joining us today and we'll see you on thursday here on the salty pastor podcast blessings